This is the Realm of Agape Christian Church. Amen. We thank God for his resurrection. Amen. For without that, where would we be? And here we are. Amen. We're at the crux of our ending for the third part of our Living Truth series, dealing with what the Bible actually states about women and their ministry. Thankful to God that we have had some uh, revival messages by the Holy Spirit. He's not done. He's enabling me to complete this teaching task so that we will, amen, have a a semi-conclusion. There's more to the book. You can be further enlightened with this truth as you purchase the book for yourself, what the Bible actually teaches on women. Uh, We're ending with chapter three for this part three of our uh, Living Truth series. God has more to say on living truth, but uh, he did want to help us to park our Winnebago as it is here (laughs) so that uh, the rest of the world, whatever they're doing, amen, we can look with divine wisdom and demarcate and know of what the will of the Lord actually is. This debate has been going on for some time. So we want to look at now in three parts why the debate has occurred at this time in history. We're still dealing with Genesis 1, 27 and 28. In the uh, New Century Version, it reads, So God created human beings in his image. And those human beings, of course, we're going to find out in the next sentences. In the image of God, he created them. Who are they? He created them male and female. God blessed them and said, have many uh, children and grow in number. Fill the earth and be its master. Rule over the fish in the sea uh, and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves in the earth. Thank God. I pray that you will give us continued wisdom and knowledge and understanding on the truth. Therefore, which you have given for us to bring forth and share, make us worthy to share with others. Going, therefore, to teach all nations. Amen. In Jesus' name. Church, what is the historical and cultural context that God intended for us to understand how men and women should respect each other? You know, we got to respect each other in and out of the four walls of the church. There are so many uh, misguided ones within the four walls of the church, which is no wonder why outside of the four walls, in our own domestic lives, there has been turmoil throughout the ages. And women weren't given the voice they should have. And uh, unfortunately, there has been family dysfunction. There has been turmoil in the home. If you don't have the full wisdom of God working and flowing the way it ought to, there's no wonder sin can creep in and do what it came to do. Instead of allowing us to let God be God, sin will come in and deceive us. It will. We need to realize that there is a historical and cultural construct with regards to male headship and to be comprehended as that which should be a help not a hindrance, and um, throughout the courses of time, we have seen 
the interpretation of dominance and inequality. But the question is, is the subordination of women a creation-given construct? The Bible chronicles the effects of that construct and reveals heaven's preferred alternative. You have to remember the Bible stories of how there have been a lot of inequality that has gone on according to uh, how men treated women. And God is not shy. He does not blush. He inspired scribes to write down in the annals of history what has occurred. We want to know the whole truth. God doesn't hide things. He doesn't say, shh, hide that under the, under the rug. Shh, put that in the closet. We don't want people to see that. What are they going to think of me? It's not about how we think of God. It's how we think about what sin does to men. What has sin caused? What is the effect of sin? That's what we're looking at. The Bible reveals the effects of sin, the effects of uh, the construct of the seat. Heaven reveals a preferred alternative through the word. So let us continue to investigate the living truth reported in chapter three of Kevin Giles's book, What the Bible Actually Teaches on Women. Let's deal with this now. Why the debate has occurred at this time in history. We're going to look at uh, some things in history, but I'm putting it in three parts, so I won't overbelabor the time. But from the earliest times, men have socially ruled over women, if you think about history. There are two main reasons for this. Men, on average, are stronger than women and thus can assert their authority over them. And second, men do, do not have babies and do not need to, what, breastfeed them, right? They thus have freedoms and uh, control over their lives that women and wives and mothers do not have. In other words, men are advantaged by nature. Men also have been advantaged by education throughout the courses of time. In some countries today, women are not allowed to have higher education. It's against their law. Uh, where education has been available, men have monopolized on it. Uh, they have been the educated leaders, mathematicians, philosophers, artists, and musicians. From what is the reality, the belief followed that this is how things ought to be. Uh, men are to rule over women, and they make the best leaders. This belief was then codified and legitimated in religious texts of all places. All the sacred texts of the great religions of the world, in one way or another, give a teaching that causes people to believe, you know, that it is God's written ecclesiastical order for men to be rulers. Virtually all Christians until the 1960s believed that the Bible taught that the man should rule over the woman, not just that it reflected a patriarchal culture. Men are to rule. The right of men to rule over women began to be questioned in the 19th century, but little progress was made. Few women gained an education or could support themselves. 
And of course, they wouldn't have the wherewithal educationally to debate this, you know. And, and if they were married, they either were, you know, pregnant or, or, or nursing a baby for most of their life. So they didn't have time to be going to school and doing all that, you know, debating and such. Uh, in the 1960s, a number of forces coalesced to make radical change possible. These things inaugurated one of the most profound and far-reaching social revolutions in the history of the world. Women's liberation, women's freedom, if you will. A few points to make here. When men uh, in the millions went off to fight in the Second World War, that's when uh, the birth of this thought came. You know, women in the millions were called on to do the jobs that men weren't able to do because they were out fighting in the war. They learned trades. They uh, staffed factories. They drove trucks, flew planes, worked as accountants, and managed businesses of all kinds. Do you remember that iconic picture of the woman with her hair tied back? And uh, she had her sleeves rolled up and making her, you know, biceps bulge out. My God. See, uh, this is the time that um, we see the women beginning to thrive. However, the war didn't last forever. The men returned and the women were sent back to be homemakers and to have children. At first, there was little discussion or unhappiness about this. However, in the 1960s, many of these women began to recall how fulfilling their work experience had been for them and uh, what they had achieved before they were, quote unquote, sent home. By the 1960s, women were completing high school and going on to university or college in great growing numbers only to find that they were expected to get married. You're there to get a man to find a husband who will keep you under, you know. They're going to have children. They're going to run their home for the rest of their lives to be domestic engineers. They realized they were capable of a whole lot more. For centuries, men's greater physical strength gave them an advantage in the labor market. The majority of jobs were open only to men because of their physical demands. However, by the 1960s, brains were becoming more important than brawn. This change accelerated with increasing use of computers. Many of the most rewarding jobs became available to women. I like that movie, uh, hidden figures where they're showing the women who were calculating the numbers. They were actually called computers because they're computing numbers. Then, of course, we had international business machines. IBM came in and they engineered a machine that would do the computing. And the machine was not that accurate, you know. They had to always check it out with the human computer. So times are changing here. Jobs available to women. You don't need muscles to do that. You need a brain. Women had brains, and they could do these things. Today, more women graduate from colleges and universities than men. 
making women more advantaged in the job market. In the post-war period, women began moving in greater numbers into the workforce, and new labor-saving devices were invented, such things as, you know, washing machines, vacuum cleaners, Refrigerators, electric mixers, and stoves cut down on the time and effort needed for household chores. Even ironing became less time-consuming as clothing that needed little or no ironing became commonplace. Women began to find relief from all the housework because in many homes, men began to do a little of the work around the home. In 1960, the first oral contraceptive pill, Innovid, was approved for sale. This is monumental. And within a few years, became universally, universally available. This gave women freedoms that only men used to enjoy. So as we see time going on, then comes 1963, who was President, President John F. Kennedy. He signed the Equal Pay Act, which ruled a woman can and must be paid the same as a man for the same day's work. Greater access to, to paid employment, combined with improvements in women's pay, meant that for the first time in human history, women could support themselves and family members for whom they were responsible. They were no longer financially dependent on men. You see how the liberation is growing? These huge changes for women beginning in the 1960s took place in times of profound social disruption. The Vietnam War was raging. The African-American Civil Rights Movement was in full swing. And there were student riots in Europe. These formidable events served as the fertile soil for the women's movement to erupt and prosper. And as in the 1860s, 100 years before that, when women, most of them evangelical women, uh, involved in the abolition of uh, the slavery movement, began questioning their own subordinate status. So too did the women involved in the civil rights movement of the 1960s, questioning their subordinate status. Hmm. So in this context, in 1963, Betty Friedman published her groundbreaking best-selling book called The Feminine Mystique. For her, The Feminine Mystique was the post-Second World War ideology that a woman's role in society is to be a wife, mother, housewife, and nothing more. This, she discovered, had led large numbers of women to feel unhappy and unfulfilled. They wanted more than a husband, children, and a home. Well, some women today don't want more than that. What the mystique did, Friedman concluded, was block women from developing a sense of their own worth and human potential as autonomous identities. Behind the mystique, she pointed out, lay Sigmund Freud's 
uh, belief that women are intrinsically childlike, needing male supervision. Freud said that. Nature had determined their destiny to be a wife, mother, homemaker, tender of the home, you know, uh, and be dependent on men. In a short period of time, the book had sold millions of copies, uh, actually a million copies. I want to bring it bigger than it is. <laughs> what, what Friedman said resonated with millions of white, middle-class, educated women. Many of them were Christians. Hence you have that right-wing, you know, evangelical Christian movement. And that still exists today, some of us calling them privileged and such. But in 1966, the National Organization for Women, you know, now NOW, now was formed by Betty Friedman as its first president. Those present at the first meeting agreed that now is dedicated to the presupposition that women first and foremost are what? Human beings who must have the chance to develop their fullest human potential. And now by the 1970s, women found themselves in a world never enjoyed by their gender before. They had been set free. He who this ideology sets free is free indeed, I guess, huh? The Western world had agreed uh, women should be given legal equality and opportunity in all aspects of life. As a consequence, today we have female leadership where? In government, you've seen it, right? What about judicial courts? Yes, women are there, right? What about higher education? We see women there. One of them is my daughter, amen. What about large corporations? We see women heading those. They are physicians, doctors. They are lawyers. They are sometimes engineers and computer designers. They used to be only men. Women can be plumbers now. You've seen them. What about female electricians and carpenters? HGTV. Now, almost by definition, the happiest and most mutually rewarding marriages are profoundly egalitarian, where there is equality. Men and women bring home the bacon. Men and women fry it in the pan. Amen. <laughs> My God. So in speaking of these huge changes, the fact that women still face challenges and are often disadvantaged must not be ignored. Men exert more political power and get most of the better jobs still. Despite laws on equal pay, uh, men on average earn something like 20% more than women because most men are physically stronger than most women. Men can use force to get their own way. It is women who bear children. This means for some years in their life, they may be out of the workforce and fall behind men in their career path. I've seen some colleagues in my career, you know, they take uh, maternal leave and uh, a lot of their time dwindling as 
the male counterparts can have more seniority at times in certain circles. So uh, the, the, the reality is that in our fallen world, we got to think biblically that sin has crept into the world, right? This is a fallen world. Gender equality, like all forms of social equality, remains an ideal to be pursued. My God. Part one. Amen. Amen. That's a lot of history. It can make your brain dull and you start going to sleep. Amen. But you can see what has happened in history, how gender has been defined. And they bring that into the ecclesiastical circles. And if you have men dominating out there in the workplace, they're going to also dominate here in the church world. And you still hear of men saying, men, you preach. Women, you reach. Things like that. I've seen it in social media this week, someone reiterating such things. But we know God did not intend for that. Just because you women have need of a time to have the babies doesn't mean that gives us more time uh, where now, like you're running a race, you, some people get a head start. Men have a head start now. They, they can go on ahead of women. We're not supposed to do that. They're supposed to carry the, the babies, but we're supposed to be carrying them. Spend less time carrying on and having monkey business out there and carry the women when we're supposed to be. Take care of your business in your home. Hallelujah, anyhow. And then bring that into the church. Then you won't have these men stepping on the women as stepping stones, and, and they could get up and be over the women and keep them down. But God didn't intend for that. He had Adam and Eve working together side by side. My God. We of the realm of Agape Christian Church pray that the Holy Word of God has richly blessed your soul. To send prayer requests, use the contacts page of our website, www.roagape.org. We need your continued prayers and financial support to maintain this ministry. You can also find a secure means of donating on our website. God bless you. Thank you.